0: Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of seven figure millennials where together you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing, we are committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here as either a very first time listener, this is the first time you've ever heard my voice, or you are a seasoned listener, I just want to take the time to say, I love you, I appreciate you, And seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking the time today to listen to this episode to expand and grow. Every single week, I am interviewing epic humans, making a beautiful impact in the world and supporting you to do exactly the same. And I am also working every week to meet and introduce you to what I call real humans. So I invested a ton of time in in developing relationships with these humans that have these characteristics. They are respectful, they are enthusiastic, they are appreciative, and they are loving. So they are real humans. And I'm super excited to introduce you to today's real human, today's legendary leader of impact, Scott Danner. And I'll read his bio so you'll get a little bit of context on him in just a bit, but I want you to look out for three specific things in this episode. Number one, how a terrible experience at age three shaped Scott's life forever. I don't want to ruin it for you, but let's just say that it's nothing you would ever want to happen to anyone, but Scott transformed this into something massively positive despite its ugly package. So listen for that. Number two, I want you to listen in on why you should focus on living a legacy versus leaving a legacy and exactly how to do that. Scott tells some incredible stories. I think one of my favorite ones that I listen to is the, the story where he tells about him sitting at the airport bar. So listen for that one. And number three, how to define what freedom means for you, That is so much what we talk about on this podcast is what does success, what is happiness, what does freedom mean for you specifically? And how do you not compare your definition, where you're at with other people and just be happy with what freedom means for you and design a life that's intentional around that. So Scott has some incredible content around that and specifically look for his his life analogy. So I won't tell you what that is, but look out for that. So normally this is where I would read Scott's bio, but he straight up told me, he's like, Brandon, you know me, uh, just tell me a little bit, Tell tell the audience, about me. So um, I'm going to tell you really quickly the story about meeting Scott. I met Scott at Genius Network, which is a mastermind group back in 2019 and connected with him. And he's just an epic human. We had several late night conversations full of meeting and he's a giving and kind dude. And someone I look up to as a connector, someone who lives a rich life, a family man, and really somebody that just prioritizes everything that matters. So In this conversation, we'll absolutely dive into his relationship with his wife and their their two boys. They've been married for over 18 years. He is also the founder and leader of the Chesapeake Wine Festival, which attracts thousands of people annually and has generated millions of dollars for local charities. $2.7 million if I can remember correctly. And what does he do? Scott is the CEO and founding partner of Freedom Street Partners. And he's been able to help his advisors from firms across the country to achieve freedom in their business. And they've grown their company from zero to just under $3 billion in assets under management. He's also the author of the book, Freedom Streets, How I Learned to Create a Rich Life live my legacy and own the future as a financial advisor. And even though Scott is a financial advisor and teaches content to financial advisors, his wisdom is timeless. It is based on fundamental first principles and we spend a grand total of zero minutes and zero seconds talking about finances. Really, (laughs) this is a conversation about how to develop a meaningful life with love and connection to the people that matter the most and um, Scott is just someone that I appreciate that that has got such great energy and love and zest for life and we have a lot of fun in this conversation. So with all that said, I can't wait for you to dive into and listen to this interview with my friend, Scott Danner. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy and surrounded with people you love or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials podcast. My friend, Mr. Scott Danner, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. I'm excited as well. Always excited to talk to you. You know this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was, as people jumping in right now, we were just saying, Scott and I always have super high-level conversations and we're both super freaking energetic. So um, <laughs> get get ready, uh, hold on to your seat because we might be flying and talking a million miles a minute here. But uh, Scott, I thought a really good place to start would be one of the favorite stories that I heard you share in your book. And so I'll set some context for some people and then you can kind of continue where the story leaves off. But you're you're putting your kids to bed and uh, one of your kids gives you an incredible opportunity to teach him about what it means to live a rich life. So I would love for you to share the question that he asked and where that conversation went.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know, I have two boys. They're now 16 and 13. So this was probably five and three or five and two or six and three, something along those, those years. And um, they we have a, a, a good size house and they were in the same bedroom. I told my wife when we first set up this house that I wanted to have them in the same bedroom, even though they have Jack and Jill and two separate rooms that that meet with the bathroom in between. Um, we knew they could get there. But in the beginning, I said, you know, I always thought that as siblings, it's going to be valuable to have that nighttime conversation when all of your your um, inhibitions, all of your insecurities, all your frustrations and concern about competing go away. And it's just two people laying in bed. And so every night it was one of my favorite things to tuck them in because we would talk and I would kind of lay with them and we'd have a conversation and my oldest would try to keep me in there longer and my youngest would try to kick us out because he wanted his (laughs) bedtime. And uh, one night I'm walking out and I literally go to close the the light and, and turn it off. And my son goes, dad, my oldest goes, dad, would you be rich if you didn't have kids? And I literally, it kind of stopped me for a second because initially I kind of went, ha, you have no idea, man, you have no idea. <laughs> and then I, I, I caught myself from making it a joke. And I said, son, would I be rich? I think the key component, you know, I didn't say component, by the way, but I said, I think the key here is what is rich. I would be empty without my two boys. I would be empty without your mom. Our family creates a rich life for me. I, all the money in the world means nothing if we aren't together. And, um, and I said, look, would we have more money? Yeah. Every child you have costs a lot every decision you make where you're investing another human being is worth the investment. So, you know, I probably went high level and said, look, you can look at two things in life, son. You can look at cost or you can look at investment. I look at family and most of the things I put time into as investment. A lot of people in this world look at it as cost. And when you look at it as cost, it's something you've lost, you've given away. It's not something you're building for dividends in the future. And I didn't say it that way, but that's how I would say it today. And Mm -hmm. he understood, he looked at me and he kind of got it. And he's, he just interned with us uh, all summer long at 16. And he has more, more of a concept of what I do and how we do it. And he's just, uh, he's grown into such a good young man that it's, it's, it's conversations like that, that were well worth having them in the same bedroom.
0: Mm, It's so beautiful. And I know when you and I've had, we've had, several dinners together and hung out. And that was just one thing that struck me about you when we got a chance to hang out is just like, you're just a, fucking good human. <laughs> so to put some put some emphasis behind it. And I love love how you always prioritize family and like just your relationships are so freaking important to you. So I'm excited to leverage that story as a foundation for the rest of our conversation today whether we end up talking about uh your favorite kind of underwear which you and I have an inside joke around that whether yeah, that makes it yeah. a podcast or not <laughs> but we will go everywhere and everywhere about about relationships and freedom and all that good stuff. So I thought a a, a natural next place to go now that people kind of have that as a foundation is talking about one of the foundational moments that created you and inspired your legacy that came from a pretty uninspected spot. And I actually did not know this story about you until I read your book. Um, so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about what happened to you around three, your parents are out on a date night and something happens.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's really interesting when, when you write a book, they say that it's therapy. You know, the first book you write is almost a therapy session. And you don't even realize, as you start to formulate these thoughts and these ideas, the impact and the connectivity of each story to the next. And so it's really, really interesting when you look back and you're you're looking back at your life. And I did this for myself, obviously. And I remember um, how impactful this moment was to me. I remember the struggle that it became over the years, and I remember how hard it was for my parents. But I also remembered um, overcoming, I remembered, you know, kind of changing the trajectory of the way I thought about things. And so I'll paint the picture. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I think I'm just before three. Um, but I was a, a. I grew up in an Italian Catholic family with uh, my mom's side had seven people, and they were all under the age of like 21. So I was in that house every day, around all these aunts, and my ability to speak was very, very good. Very early, I was I was uh, somebody that was talking at a very early age and doing things that that were adult like because I was around so many teenagers. Um, we lived in a in a in a nice working class neighborhood. I mean, it was a little rougher at the time. It was a transition in the neighborhood. It was built in the 1950s. And this was the uh, early eighties. And it was kind of going through that transformation where it was it was kind of beat down. Um, it was what my parents could afford as two blue collar, unbelievably hardworking individuals. And um, the babysitter had, was the next door neighbor's granddaughter. And she had left, uh, she had, uh, the neighbor had come over to drop off a hot dog. And my uh, babysitter had shut the door. And didn't shut it all the way and um you know so i actually was supposed to be in bed and i'm laying in my bed and i hear someone come in and so i immediately pop up and i walk out and there's uh what i believe to be my father who's not my father i find out but he's wearing a jersey everybody wore jerseys back then it had like a um you know a a a zero, zero or something on it. And I, you know, I didn't know anybody else that walked around in their underwear and a big t-shirt other than my father. And so I kind of called out, dad, are you home? And, um, the guy kind of turned around and he had a butcher knife in his hand and, um, he was, he was trying to strip her down with the knife, um, and proceeded to kind of scare yell at me to get out of the room of which, um, I ran and got a small little bush garden's bat which I still remember to this day. It was so small and I went to go hit him because she was screaming and crying and um and he chased me back with the knife to my bedroom where I slammed the door and then as it quieted down I opened the door and kind of walked out um what I saw I can't remember every level of that. I was way too young. I also had no concept of what the experience was. Um, but the uh the sexual assault happened there in my home. Uh, I, I witnessed enough of it that it was uh I actually gave the police description when they came later uh that evening of, of what he was wearing and what he was doing as they asked me these questions. Um and uh and I definitely um felt in a, I think in a certain way looking back there was a boundary that was broken that night you know when you are a, when you're a child, your parents are everything they're safe, their safety, their protection like you don't know bad things exist until bad things happen and um I think that that day was a little bit of a loss of innocence for me um not because of uh, of that but you know I had an empathy for this human that I saw, you know, being abused. I mean, he had the knife up against her back and was poking her. And I remember these things and it wasn't about me. It was, it was just, it was all about her in that moment. It was all about, you know, how we could protect her. It was, it was innate and instinctual. When the cops came, it's funny. I've always had a really, really soft spot. I wanted to be a cop most of my life or an FBI agent because of this moment they were heroes. I mean, they came in, the guy ended up running out. Um, the neighbor came home, excuse me. My mom and dad actually came home early. They were going to go to a movie and my mom had a really uncomfortable feeling and she came home early. Uh, I'm sure my dad was quite frustrated because they had two young kids. My sister was asleep in the bedroom in a crib, um, as a baby. And I remember being in blankets uh, big heavy blankets, and she couldn't speak. The, the the babysitter couldn't speak. She literally couldn't get a word out. And I was talking to them, and the cops telling me that that I if I helped them catch this person, I'd be a hero. Yeah. And uh, and little things that I remember, and, and uh, it's it's crazy, man, to remember some of this stuff so vividly. Um, or to remember what I remember of it. You know, there's other parts that are probably misguided or have changed in my brain or things that that I'm not aware of. But a couple of cool takeaways that from a horrible situation. Number one, we had a family doctor who told my mom that he thought that if I got therapy, it might create a problem that didn't need to exist. And he thought that what would be best is that anytime I wanted to talk about it, my mom And dad just talked about it openly and it was my game. It wasn't their game. It happened to me and therefore they would be there to support me. So anytime I brought it up, my dad was kind of frustrated about it. He was not playing ball, but my mom always did. And Mm -hmm. so she made it about her. She would tell me how great the, the, the babysitter was doing and how she was doing in school. And, you know, she told me about where she went to college and, you know, all these things. My mom made it about exactly who it was about. It wasn't about me, it wasn't about us as a family. There were parts that happened to us, but there was someone who got it way worse. And, and we always had empathy and, and a feeling for that, that human. Um, it also changed my dynamic, like shaping me, protect and connect with something that is innate in me, um, protection first. And that's something that I've always felt. You know, My friends sometimes call me jokingly a dad, you know, my, my, I was on a call today and, and, uh, one of my longtime employees over 20 years, she's worked with me. She was like, Why do you always have to be the dad? You can just <laughs> sit back. You don't have to solve it for me. You don't have to protect me. And, um, the, the, the biggest takeaway from the book, Brandon, and to tie the story in is that as I was looking and connecting the dots to everything that happened from point A to point B in my life to where I am today. I had kind of forgotten all the sleepless nights. I had kind of forgotten how many nights that I laid in bed, petrified that someone was going to come in the house. I had forgotten that I was home alone all the time and scared to be in my own home every single day. And um, you know, I had to self-coach and self-talk myself. I would wake up from a nightmare. And I couldn't move. I couldn't move to go into my parents' room or I'd get in the hallway and I would freeze and my body wouldn't allow me to walk any further. Mm. And I remember this, this immense fear. And I remember just having to tell myself, it's fine. You're good. Just your feet are here. Just calm yourself down. Breathe. And I went through these exercises that I would teach someone today to do when life is getting overwhelming or when when, when troubles are, are, are kind of taking over. Um, and the, the truth is I was, I was doing these things inadvertently to teach myself to overcome this and man, things that are really, really tough to most people maybe have been a little smaller to me because from the time I was three years old until I'm 44 today, you know, when something that big, that, that, um, traumatic can happen when you're that young perspective becomes very, very empowering to you. Um, and so, you know, that's, I, I hope I did a good job of, of giving some, some scale and, and scope to that, that moment. It's uh it's definitely something that I, I think about all the time. And I just really appreciate a couple of big things, my mom and dad for how they were that family doctor, how amazing the babysitter became um, and uh, and all the things that happened uh, in that moment that, that made me a better person today.
0: So beautiful. There's so much gold there and so much I want to dive into. The quote that comes up, you know what I say, I say that it comes up, but I, I kind of force it into conversations because it's just so prevalent. You know, it's just like, there's this quote by Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And it's like, it's so interesting that we have these recurring patterns. And until you become consciously aware that they're driving your behavior, you know, it's just kind of like this invisible hand that's changing everything. And I love that not only did you overcome that, but you have a really, it seems like you have a really healthy relationship with it right now. And you were able to transform a terrible experience into something that, is a a force for good. That is something that has impacted other lives because you've decided to make that a story for you instead of a story that's against you. Which takes a lot of work, and I, I it's so cool that you're able to to share that. The, there's a few things that I'm curious about. You you said that the book was therapy for you. So was this something that was this like a recent discovery, or was this something that you've you've kind of unpacked over time?
1: I I guess I just hadn't connected the dots. One yep. of the biggest okay. things I had I had forgotten and zoned out during the process, I went through a process where um, I was asked a question to think of all the things I failed at, all the things that didn't go my way, all the things that were wrong directions or blow ups in my life. And I started making a list. And I went home and started talking to my wife about it. And um, I hadn't even thought of this moment.
0: Yeah, as relevant. The,
1: that's the cry. Like I I don't I know that this exists and it's always been a part of my conscious and unconscious, but but I, I hadn't even gotten there. My wife was like, Hey Scott, you remember when they lost your LSAT scores and you had taken them and studied and, and done all and I was like, Oh my God, another moment I forgot. They literally lost our scores when we after we took the test, and you wait 30 days to get the scores and I'm um, early admission to law school, which I never went to and it was a great thing that happened. <laughs> but the point is, I went through this exercise and I started to connect the dots of all these things that happened for me, not to me, and and then it started to help me remember that. And I also started to go backwards when I started talking about my aunts and women and my relationships. Um, you know, my my uh, there was a lot of unpacking as a as a child, as a teenager. You know, being super overprotective, like. Like instinctually already a little bit overprotective, but you know, definitely that moment in my life shaped how I view what could happen to someone you love. So you got to work through some challenges. and I just again, you you married young, we've talked about this. I married young, and i I found somebody that brings out greatness in me and allowed me to unpack it together. And I'm at in my 40s. I'm so grateful for the person that allowed me to be completely broken and imperfect early in our marriage or early in our relationship, because of the things that I maybe had been through. So, um, I mean, that's a long answer. But the bottom line is, no, I had thought about it many, many times. Um, I just had kind of made it almost like a battle cry of overcoming, not something that I really went back to, to sit in. But there were times where I needed to sit in it to get through the process.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting as entrepreneurs, we have I believe entrepreneurship is kind of like spirituality, right? Like you have so many opportunities to face your own shit because of everything that goes through. And then you get to look at the end results of stuff that's gone on. And then you can kind of reverse engineer and go back and back. And sometimes those hidden things are the things that are really the most vicious and the most prevalent ones. And um, yeah, I, I love that. And I, we can, you just dropped so many things. We could dive into relationships and stuff like that too, which will be with with significant others because I know you and I can have good conversations about that. But so I, I think a good place to go from here is to, to build on this narrative of like uncovering kind of what's drawing you. And I think that another theme that I noticed throughout your book, which by the way, it's called Freedom Street, how I learned to create a rich life, live my legacy, and own the future as a financial advisor. Anybody can go check that out. That'll be linked up in the show notes. I know you write it. Lots of it is for uh, financial advisors, but obviously there's lots of wisdom that can be had for anybody in any any form. Um, I'm not a financial advisor and I found a lot of value in it. But one of the things that I saw as a, a pattern inside of your book is basically you were kind of continuing to find higher levels of alignment in everything that you were doing. There was something that wasn't quite fitting, and then you were figuring out what was wrong, and then you were kind of iterating. So maybe to tie the alignment theme with your wife. And then also with uh, some of the other stuff we were talking about, you tell this other story in the book about um, something that happened to you where you didn't get a job that you wanted. And then you came back and shared it with your wife. And uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about that, that uh, what, what conspired that, that evening?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I put that far enough in the book so that if my wife didn't read far enough, she'd never know it existed. (laughs) Um, And so uh, ultimately you know, I knew that would happen. So I, I there's actually a bookmark where she's read to and I always check back on it. So it's a little game I play. And, <laughs> uh, and, and this was something that I almost unconsciously knew would happen. It just it it. this is a great um, story, because um I sometimes get so caught up in working for what I'm working for right now in this present state that I'm I, I used to much more than today, in fact, hardly at all today, but but back then, I was so caught up with what I thought I wanted, but I hadn't actually asked myself if that's what I really wanted, and I just wanted the next job, I wanted the next opportunity, I felt like I deserved it, I felt like I could, I was doing all the right things, why would this not work out, and and it was really, a, it was it was a management role in a big company, and I'm a shitty manager, all right? i'm 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 not a manager. I am not great with you telling me exactly how it has to be and exactly why. and you're and and half the things you're trying to get me to do are not even for the best interest of the people I'm serving. I have a very hard time with that. I want to make it better. I want to make it the best I can be, and I want to own it. And I, I'll own it if it fails and I'll own it if it's bad. And this was something that was battling in me, and it came down to me and another person for a role the other person had more had more qualifications on paper they were a military uh, officer and veteran you know they they absolutely had had 15 years on me like on paper today as a ceo of a company it's a no brainer like i understand but i was the wild card and i really thought i felt like i was going to get this role and when i didn't i couldn't tell if i was more upset that i didn't get it because i lost versus winning and losing or if I actually wanted it and so I get home I'm again tucking my kids in um I'm upstairs I actually feel like a complete loser like I'm in that moment where I'm kind of in my own shit and I don't even want to go down and face my wife like I'm I feel like everything I had planned is now blown up and I got to restart and it was so small and so simple but in that moment it was big And I walk downstairs and my wife is in a robe and um, and she has a bottle of champagne with two glasses. And she's like, Hey, do you want to go swimming? And I have asked her to go night swimming for like years (laughs) since we had that damn pool. And she says no all the time. And I, uh, and I was like, Oh, what's the occasion? And she goes, come on outside. And so we, uh, we, we go outside. She tells me that I don't need a bathing suit. Um, <laughs> I don't need a swimsuit. Uh, now I'm, I'm really happy. Um, she hands me, uh, she takes her robe off. She gets into the water. She hands me a glass of champagne. And I said, what are we celebrating? And she said, we're celebrating that the right thing happened. We're celebrating that you're right where you're supposed to be. We're celebrating that I have another year of you and more time with you. We're celebrating that this wasn't the right role for you. And I knew it all along and you just haven't realized it yet. And she went on to kind of tell me a couple of things that just built me up. And, um, you know, in that moment, she knew exactly what I needed to get out of my own head. She knew, um, you know, exactly how to celebrate in the sense that, you know, the champagne was just a special touch that said, Hey, this is a celebration. It's not, it's, it's the death of something that's going to be good for both of us. And, uh, it, it started, it ignited me to where I am today. Less than two years later, I founded freedom street, my company today, freedom street partners. And, uh, and that was six years that from the founding. So this was eight years ago now. And my life has changed dramatically from that moment. She was dead, right?
0: Oh man. Okay. So I- we're for sure going to dive into the, your relationship with your wife and how that's evolved and helped you move forward. I, I love that story on so many levels, but you already alluded to it. It's like, she sees you in a completely different way that you've ever been able to see yourself. And, and so that's so beautiful that you guys have that complimentary set. And it's funny because Leah and I are, we were, we're in, instituting a new relationship, um, Goal, I guess you could say, is we have a, a weekly check-in now where we're starting to have conversations about expanding on our strengths and our weaknesses and stuff like that. And you might see where this is going. But like I've taken a ton of tests. I know you've taken these tests too, where it's like there's the Colby, there's the StrengthsFinder, there's Wealth Dynamics, there's the Principles you, there's the you know all these different things. And one of the things that I did recently is I went back through all those tests and I looked for the commonalities for all those things so that I can design and be more intentional about what I'm doing and creating a business around it. So Scott's nodding. Cause you're like, I want to go into this stuff, but that oh, it ties it. into relationships is really interesting because I don't know if you've ever had your wife take any of these, but like, it's, it turns out that Leah and on one of them, when it said that you are the most least like, <laughs> that was Leah's number one thing. And it's so funny how that dichotomy serves you in so many ways, because it's like Leah and I in many different ways think polar opposites, but like, it's that dichotomy that challenges you and gets you to think at a, at a much higher level. So, I mean, I, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit about your relationship with your wife and how you've been able to build that while simultaneously being an entrepreneur and going out on hard things and and maybe how that she's helped you to kind of play into your strengths in ways that you didn't know that you could.
1: Yeah, well, I I have uh, I've used DISC mostly in my career and so um it I did the DISC not only for my spouse and my children, but I did it for my entire family, my mom, my dad. It was so amazing for my relationship with my father to look at his his natural personality style and to understand how moments growing up where how out of control he probably had to feel to Mm. step so far out of his comfort zone and um it gave me an understanding on some things that i didn't fully understand as a father as a son even um and so going back to my wife, we are, um, we are exact opposites. I'm on the disc. I'm, you know, the, the, uh, the ID. So I have that, I, I'm, I'm, I might as well be smack dab in the middle of like inspirational coach, you know, uh, the, 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 the people, people guy, and then the results oriented, task oriented, get stuff done at any cost. And um, she is an SC. She's a servant leader who gets analytical. And, um, so my wife likes to talk about the weather. I don't give a shit about the weather. I, you know, I literally don't care. I don't care what it's going to do. I'm going to walk out. If it rains, I'm going to walk out. If it storms, I'm going to walk out. If it's flooding, don't care. And, um, and yet she could care less about some of the things that I love. Right. So sometimes if we focus on those things that we're not you know, uh, in com- in complete symmetry with it gets really easy to feel like we're so far apart. But the reality is having the balance of two people who are uniquely different is a clear advantage to take on the world. Mm-hmm. in moments where the ID is lost, where the the results oriented person lost a result, um the the servant leader knows exactly what you need to be lifted back up. and And so, over the course of our lives, um, you know, we, we have two kids and, and we are aligned. I think marriage is one of those things where we've gone through, uh, different iterations. One of my favorite stories to talk about is, um, we have something when, when my second born was came into this world, my first one was so easy. Like he was, he, he, I remember my wife would come in and be like, I, I can't get him to sleep. And I would literally just say his name with 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 distinction and not in a yell voice, but a very firm, strong voice. And I would say, lay down and go to sleep. Everything's fine. And he would immediately cry. He'd be crying and he would stop. And so when my second was born, I was like, I got this. I know this game. <laughs> Everything, this is easy, Adrian, I got it. And I um, I tried it and he would scream louder. And it was very challenging for us. Six months into this, we're going to a wedding. We're listening to Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. I I bought the book on on CD. That's how old we are. And, um, (laughs) And so we have it in. The baby's crying all the way up to this wedding. Only didn't cry during the wedding, then cried all the way home. And we had a vacation maybe two weeks later. And we're on a boat going over a ferry, going over to St. Thomas. And my wife puts her arms around me and she goes, this is our ROM weekend. I'm looking forward to just being with you. And I said, what's ROM stand for? And she said, it's Rekindle Our Marriage. And I said, I didn't know our marriage was broken. And she goes, no, we love each other. But you know, we need to make sure we like each other too. And, um, and we actually made that our own term. Our ROM weekends are things or weeks They started out as weeks when we were younger and now they've become a lot of weekends. Uh, But ROM is is our rekindle our marriage moments where I figured out that she and I needed two lengthy ROM weeks or weekends a year, just the two of us. And we needed a couple of weekends mixed in. If we could get that every year, our marriage was so strong, so foundationally strong. And when we start to falter, it's because we haven't had separation from the world and remembered how much we like each other. Love is something that comes, you know, once you've loved somebody, you almost always love them in some way, but liking them requires work and being together all the time, being different, looking at the world differently. You know, there are days where you wake up and you talk about the weather and I'm like, I don't want to, you know, it's a joke, but but I, I go back to If I love her and I like her, then I listen and I say, okay, well, is this weekend going to look good? And we just give each other a little bit. And she probably talks about personal growth a little more than she wants to with me. You know, she probably talks about entrepreneurism a little more than she wants to with me. So that's part of it. And so I think what you and Leah are going through is, is, is finding the rhythm of marriage, Mm -hmm. finding the rhythm of a relationship. It, It works with any relationship. It's the rhythm of that relationship and what that relationship needs to survive. And you have to figure that out. The recipe is for you to figure out with each person, each connection.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. There's so many things to pull out there. First of all, I I remembered you sharing this ROM concept. So that's a huge takeaway for anyone listening right now. It's like, man, think about the power of just that right there is just you set aside some time where it's rekindle your marriage. And I think I love the title and the labeling behind that. And a few other things that as you were speaking, I just came to mind. An earlier version of me, a much earlier version of me was like looking for somebody that was exactly like me, which sounds pretty narcissistic now that I say it out loud. But it's like I feel like that was that's a it's a normal thing to say, oh, I want someone that's that's interested in in functions like me. And as Lee and I have grown and, you know, we've been together for nine years now, married for two and we, you know, we started dating in high school. So it's like, you're obviously your chemistry is completely different when you, <laughs> when you're 17 yeah. years old. But anyways, like, like another guest on my show, um, Jennifer Blankle talks about how you're supposed to, most couples, you're supposed to disagree on 80% of stuff. Like you're like 80% is all, it sounds like a lot, but it's really important that, you know, you are intentional about finding somebody that can balance you out and and leverage their strengths and set aside time exactly like you talk about. And, Um, you know, you're someone that I, that I look up to as somebody that's invested a lot in their relationships with, you know, all different components, but but with your wife as well, which is super cool. So, and I love also one is a final thing. I always say final, but that I always end up saying more stuff is like the fact that you leverage the disc, this may be jumping back a little bit, but it's like seeing your family from that perspective as well. I did this project recently where I interviewed my grandpa, my grandma, my dad, I still have to do my mom, but that was an interesting thing. You know, it's never going to be, it's not when I say interview, I'm not publishing on the show, but right, it's right. like, you can see yourself so much differently when you hear it from the mouth of your parents or you hear it from the mouth of your grandparents. Cause I can see it's like, oh, that's where my dad got that was from, <laughs> from my grandpa here. And when you have that When you have a test or a conversation like that, it makes it so much easier to uncover new levels of yourself when you step aside like that. So I love it. Also helps you figure. It
1: helps you figure out where you stand in the world. Like my brother just got married this weekend. It was awesome, and we're all in the same house. And my brother and his fiance weren't, but my my sister, her kids, my kids, my parents. I'm I'm the only dominant in the entire group next to one of my. He isn't,
0: and I haven't taken disc DISC, by the way, so so people don't know. Yeah,
1: disc and disc. I'm the only like driver, like results oriented. So like every, and I run a company for a living. And, you know, so like every decision that sounds so small to me, I'm like, oh, we can do this. We can do that. Here's how we do this. And I'm like the black sheep. Like it's, that is not (laughs) how things get solved in, in our family dynamic. But understanding to your point, not only them, but me, I also can self-adjust. I always find those things, and this is really interesting for any listener. I find personality assessments most advantageous to understand you and how you communicate so you can communicate better to the other person, not about you feeling better about yourself. See, when, when I can learn, if you, you talk about Leah, we talk about my wife, Adrian, at the end of the day, when we want to get something that if 80% of, of what you said, 80%, we disagree on. Okay. When I really need the 20% that we're going to agree on, but I think it's going to start in the 80, I have to remember how my wife best communicates, not yeah, how 100%. I best communicate. Cause I could do it on the fly. I could go right in and be like, Hey, by the way, I can go deep in five seconds She is not going to get there. We have to have a little bit of peace, a little bit of quiet, a little bit of separation. And that's hard for me. So I have to make sure we recently had a discussion about my son and at turning 16 and what we wanted to do in the next two years. And what would that look like? Because these are pinnacle years and I'm pretty driven and he's a he's a dominant as well. And I said, these could get difficult if he decides he wants to really press me because I have to step outside myself. I have to know that he's going to be a strong man. I got to give him independence and I have to know how he's going to thrive. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide him opportunities, but I really need your support. I know that you're a servant leader. I know he's going to love you and he's going to come to you with how hard dad may be sometimes, but I really believe together if we're aligned, this is going to be great. And that conversation over a glass of wine at lunch, separate from everybody else worked. And it's starting to really work. We're on the same page, way more than we were a year earlier. And um, and so I, I just wanted to say that communication piece is so powerful when you're using these personality assessments. When you're young, you kind of use them to learn about yourself because it's the first time you've ever done that. But when you really understand the tool, you use it to better understand everyone else.
0: Yeah, 100%. I love that. And I would encourage anybody... I don't want to dive into like all the tools. I know in episode 100, I will have talked about this. I think it's so important to leverage the tools, not by itself or make it the end all be all, but rather look at the patterns that emerge from the tools, but also the patterns in your life events that don't come from a tool that come from other people's comments of you, you know, like that, that, that level of self-awareness is really, really powerful. So I I want to continue building on this because I know a, a big part of your book, you talk about building a business that's in alignment with the, your strengths and your skill set. So we already kind of covered some of the tools. But as I just mentioned, some of the awarenesses come from falling on your face. Some of them come from learning a little bit about something that you didn't realize before that came in an unexpected situation. And one of the things that I thought was really cool is that you were very intentional about starting to build a business in alignment with not just your strengths, but like your preferred, like what brought you fulfillment? Like de- designing a business around like, I love running events. Like I love doing these things. And then you were able to find success because you, because you were intentional about that being the center of it. So I would love for you to share some of that, some of your journey and discovering that, and then how you took the examples of the tests and your your insights with yourself to actually build a business around that instead of making it an afterthought.
1: It, you know what's really funny? And I know we've talked about this before, but growing up, I didn't think that I was smart. I thought that I was athletic. I thought that I was adaptable. I thought that I was uh, somebody that could lead. And as I got older, I realized when you tap into your unique ability, you can be the smartest person in the room, but the smartest person in the room is simply reading the room and letting everybody else that's great at what they do, do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was my tool of connection. It was my ability to connect that made me feel like it was a superpower. And so by, by surrounding myself with people that do the very things I don't enjoy doing. And the minute I, I stop enjoy, do, enjoying it. Um, and and I, it really comes back to finding joy in every day. If you find joy in every day, you lay your head down at the end of the day, and you feel accomplished. You feel like you did something. When you when you find struggle, it's not that you don't keep going. It's that, man, I try to find the who around me that can help me solve this this challenge, this problem, this struggle. And so, in starting the in starting this company, um, I was an entrepreneur who happened to start as a financial advisor. That is, I've I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, whether I was cutting grass or trading baseball cards or selling stuff. You know, the the number one salesperson in the school for the the candy bars. Like I was <laughs> working from the time I was a, a kid, and um, I loved it. And so, financial advising gave me a chance to connect with people. All about the relationship, and I realized in a time where I started—remember, in the the financial uh, prior to the financial crisis, back in in towards September 11th and 99 to 2002—that time frame was a unique time frame where nobody really trusted the system. It had it had been down for 20 years, up for 20 years, down for three. And I came in and I was like, you know what? If I'm going to survive in this business, I have to build it around life. Wealth is a part of life. They expect me to know that I will. And where I don't know it, I'll surround myself with experts. And so to your point, I built a business that I could be the entrepreneur, I could be the visionary, I could lead, I could build it around relationships and connection. That's the number one thing that I teach to any new business, new new practice in my own industry. But it really goes to any practice is, is it was all about developing a pattern of doing the things you're great at and then the things you aren't acknowledge it and be okay with it i don't have to be the master of every craft and so i love that and that's how we built what we built and it's it's grown way faster because of that
0: yeah that's epic and i know you just you said the word life i know you have an acronym for life so maybe we can dive into that but i think i think it's really cool that you know you and I share that that theme of connection because connection is one of my superpowers. I would consider that number two after curiosity, because that's kind of what drives my my desire to connect with people. But um, one of the ways that you manifested that was in running events and, and like you use right. that as a way to to grow your business. But also I know you 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 got some you've ran some massive wine events and have, have contributed tons to charity as a result of that. So I think it might be concrete for people to hear an example of like, okay, Scott realizes he's done the test he's spent time with adrian and she shares these insights and you know he's fallen on his face a few times and he realizes okay like connection is my gift and one of the ways that i can do that is events how would you mind sharing a little bit about how that manifested and how you were able to actually build community and connection leveraging that superpower of yours
1: yeah so the the quick version is about 7 or 8 years into my career I found myself bored, just a little bored. And I wanted to make a bigger impact. And um, one of my uncles had said I should join the local Rotary Club where I would have been an average of probably 15 to 20 years younger than everybody else. I go into this room. It's a powerful room. Um, the first event they had me go to is a spaghetti dinner. I'm Italian. My grandmother's Sicilian. I grew up in her kitchen. I'm like, no brainer. I'll make the sauce. I'll get in the kitchen. I, it's It is nothing like what I envisioned. It was a cafeteria. It was like a (laughs) 35 year old event that was miserable. It was so bad. I I think I had to give my tickets away and I came back and I was like, I can change this club. I could change the trajectory of what we're doing. There's too many important people. I know how to put the right puzzle pieces together Let's do a wine festival. We'll be the only one in the area for all for charity. There were several that have been succeeding in our area, but nothing all for charity. Let's take 100% of the proceeds and put it to local charities. Let's pick an impact one. So year one, we did the cancer center at the local hospital. We gave 100 grand, um, and and year two, uh, you know, it was something else. And here's the point: um, it started out where everyone I pitched the idea to said, "Oh, like 500,000 people," and I was like, "No, like 5,000, 10,000 people." And everybody was small, first of all. And when I do something, I start small, but I immediately, you know, create this huge vision and then I dial it back. So I don't always end where I started, but I want to think bigger and excel past where everybody else thinks is possible. And then I work from possible to probable. So what we did was we created a wine festival, the Chesapeake, Virginia Wine Festival. We had almost 8,000 people in year one. Uh, It was sunny. It was gorgeous. Our city loved it. Every council person was was almost on our committee. We had the sheriff's department volunteering. We had the police department working out front. Like everybody in the city came together. It was amazing. I did it with, I was a co-chair with uh, uh, the uncle who uh, when I pitched it and it ended up winning, he came up to me and said, do you realize what you've done? This is going to be huge. And I remember saying, dude, I got it. And and he was like, I'm going to help because I think you're going to need it. And I'm glad that he helped because together we created a really special relationship and we built something really, really bigger than ourselves. We've donated over $2.7 million Donated, not raised, but donated locally. We have uh, year number 13, event number 12 this year, one COVID year we had to miss, but we were able to get the, the, the one in the following. And this is the key component. My my love for tying work and life and all these things together, I had an interest and in a curiosity in wine. My, my best friend was a level two psalm. Uh, I loved learning about wine. I loved learning about the different soils and where it's from, and all the cool things that go with it because it's not just about drinking something. It's about a deeper understanding. And so that drove the interest to go to the first event. Then when I went to an event, I noticed something else. almost all women, every party, everything I had ever gone to in my life when when I was a young man was like, if there were, 70 to 80% girl to guy ratio, that only got bigger and better every single year. So I took that mindset and I said, well, gosh, if this is an 80 plus percent women attended event, this has staying power. Like the difference between men and women when they go to events are men will bail on an event immediately. Like they, if, if they get home and it's nice weather and their best friend calls them and he has a better offer, a lot of men are out women plan it on the calendar have to develop an entire strategy around it usually organize five other things to make it happen and they go no matter what we actually had a hurricane hit one year six thousand women there was a state of emergency six thousand people mostly women were at that event i could see them telling their spouses honey I bought these tickets three months ago. We are going and we're going to have a blast and we're going to have a great time. I don't care if it rains. They had tables flipped over and they were sitting behind them. I mean, it was everything I envisioned and more. And the most important thing, Brandon, was this. I realized the power of an idea, the power of surrounding yourself with the right people who could help that idea come to fruition, and the power of impact. The impact I was able to make with my ideas with my resources and my ability to connect changed the trajectory of my life. It made me think bigger, but not about my business, about everybody else I could help. When you shift to helping everybody else, everything else in your life gets better, Mm -hmm. literally. And that's the connection. So the events for me were always a part of my career. I shaped everything about my career around events, because I like having a party. I like having people come in. I like serving them. I like making the experience special. And I like people wanting to come back for more.
0: Mm. It's your Italian blood right there. Just That's bringing it, people man. together. <laughs> I love that. And it's just I think it's a powerful manifestation and reminder for everyone. It's like, there's no way you could have pulled that off if you weren't in alignment with who you naturally were, like all that energy and care and love and connection. Like, if it's a drag for you, like the the results would have been paled in comparison to the 2.7 million dollars you've raised for charity as a result for that, which is which is beautiful. And I think this leads us to another huge component of your message is, and I love I love that you say this, it's it's not leaving a legacy it's living a legacy. And you know, that that requires being conscious about how you're showing up in the world and the things that you're doing on a day to day basis. So um, I, maybe maybe a good place to kind of dive into this kind of legacy or living a legacy component would be you share in your um, book that you had the opportunity to share the eulogies of of your grandparents. So w- w- would you mind talking a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd i be happy to. I, uh, I realized pretty young that um I don't build things with my hands. Um, my One of my grandfathers was a carpenter and, and, and he made beautiful things. And I build things with my brain and with people and connection. And I communicate and that's what I was great at. And so I always made it known that I was willing to be there if my parents wanted me to be there for those eulogies. And um, so I... I brought it up in the book for one big purpose, and that is when you die, nobody gives a damn about what you did for work. They care about the impact you made in lives. They care about who you were as a human. They care about who you loved and did they love you back? They care about how you connected with people. Any funeral you go to, people tell stories about you as a human, not just you as a worker. And I think so often, we get caught up in the wrong things. We all do. I have many a times. And it was always sobering when I did those eulogies to talk about the human. When I, when I did one of my grandmothers and I got to read a letter that my mom had written to her um, and all the siblings had asked me to read, all, all six of the siblings and my mother had asked me to do this eulogy. And, um, and the, the, the impact that it made on my life is so empowering because it reminds me of the most important thing. So when I talk about about leaving a legacy versus living a legacy, living a legacy is about the awareness of understanding each day you have a chance to make a difference. Impact is in you every single day. And it starts with being kind. It starts with smiling at someone, opening the, the, the door for somebody, reminding yourself that when you're caught in your own bullshit, The fastest way to get out of it is to go do something for someone else. Go call someone who needs help. Go help someone that needs something that you can provide them. And every time I find myself in my own shit, that helps me. And so I created a a term I use all the time called the habit of daily impact. And I really pay attention to habits and how habits become things that become a part of your DNA. Eventually, if you do it enough, it's just a part of you. And um, that discipline is something that I find very, very empowering. And so the habit of daily impact is focusing every single day on the awareness of what you did today that made a difference for somebody else. It could be as big as the wine festival where 7,500 to 8,000 people came out and we donated to the Boys and Girls Clubs and Chipped and Honor Remember and the dental chair and all the things that have happened. Huge impact. Some days it's being in the grocery store, Brandon, and just saying, hey, I really love that shirt. That's awesome. And watching someone who has been ignored all day long smile and have a connection. And remember, you have that power. And and I think that that those are the things that really stand out to me when it comes to life, it comes, it comes into leaving a legacy is great. But if you're doing something every day, the eulogy gets easy, all those eulogy virtues become really easy, because everyone will remember all the easy little tiny things you did for them in their lives. And I, I think that's so special.
0: It's beautiful and epic. And I I had, um, when I was reading your book, I always read on Kindle and then I I highlight stuff and sometimes I leave notes and I highlighted a story and my note was classic Scott. (laughs) Because I could totally see. Yeah, yeah. So I I, would love for you to share this story because like I I could totally, I could picture you in this scenario like perfectly as it happened. So I think this is a great, this story will be a great example of showing how easy it is that just to step up and be a kind of person that makes someone's day. You know, I think the example you just gave in the grocery store, you know, it, it can be small, but this one, I love this one. So you carry a hundred dollar bill in your in your pocket for uh, special occasions. And one day you're at an airport bar and uh, things are uh, kind of being a shit show. Would you yeah. mind picking it up from there? What happens next?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I get to this airport bar. I've had a hell of a travel day. I'm in Atlanta. It's time for lunch. I have fairly limited amount of time. And it is an absolute shit show behind the bar. I mean, I I was sitting for maybe 15 minutes. Then I asked for a glass of wine and they don't have this glass. They don't have that glass. It was like five different things. Two people start arguing behind the bar, like ready to go to blows almost. And the lady that was back there, she kept coming in and kind of putting her hand on the shoulder and like trying to ease everybody. And she got me a glass of wine eventually. And, and I just felt this feeling like she had had a day and I just simply asked her a question. I was like, is it been a tough day? And she looked at me and she, her eyes welled up and she said, I I'm working. I already worked all night. I'm I'm essentially working my second shift. I'm exhausted. Everybody's losing their damn mind. And the bar was like all, um, every single person, they just had this edge about them. And, uh, and I said, so you need us to be extra special to you today. Is that what you're saying? And she said, yeah, that would be great. And I looked at the bar and I had like five other people and I was like, Hey guys, you think we can make this an easy day for her? Can we make it? Can we be her best guests? And the couple next to me were like, we're going to be great. And the next group was like, we're going to be great. And so as I was leaving, I, you know, I have to remind myself, that's why I keep it in there. How often do you use a hundred dollar bill nowadays? Very rarely. So it's in there for a reason. And I pull out the hundred dollar bill and I put it in there. And um, this, this uh, lady opens it up and she just looks at me and shakes her head as I'm walking away. And, uh, and I think she, she said something, or I try to usually leave before they can say anything. Cause I don't want to, to do anything. I mean, this, this happens all the time, by the way, I, I have um, I think it's a battle between feeling like I've been blessed almost too much sometimes and wanting to give back to the world in a way that financially helps other people who are obviously putting their effort in their one foot forward. Um, The other night you'll love this. The other night I'm out with very, very successful humans and, um, we're walking in the streets of Chicago and everyone there is, is probably, um, you know, uh, in, in, they have, they have made a good life for themselves and we're walking. And this young little girl is walking in front of us and her sister, potentially her mother, who is very young, um, hears us lost on our way to the Ritz Carlton. And we're trying to find our way back to the Ritz and she interrupts and she looks at me and she goes, hey, listen, it's super easy. If you cross over underneath that bridge, you're gonna come out here and you make a left and that's it. You don't have to do anything else. And I was like, that was really awesome. And in my brain and in my self-awareness, I separated from the story of the group. And I I looked at the little girl and I said, how much are the candy bars? And she goes, um, she goes uh, I don't know, five bucks. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to buy a candy bar, but I'm going to actually give you more than what you need. And you get to keep the candy bar and sell it to somebody else. So you can give the school their money, but the money I give you, you can choose to keep or you can donate it, whatever you want to do. And when I did that, immediately a homeless guy stands in front of my face, literally jumps in front of me and says, I need something. And I pulled out a $20 bill and I gave him $20, five people. Next to me, gave that little girl a hundred dollar bill. Five people. She had, she had, it might have been even more by the time it stopped. And I, st- everybody kept walking and I came back to that little girl and I said, Do you know why that happened to you? She goes, No. I said, Because she stopped to help us and we're grateful and good things happen when you help other people. That's it. And I walked away. And it's not about these aren't I'm a good guy stories. They're not, you know. I wanna I wanna tell the world that um, that they just need to be more like me. That is that is the furthest from the truth. I want that child to understand there's enough good and greatness in this world that even though she's probably struggling, that great things happen when you're kind and you help people and you put other people above yourself, and that's living a legacy. And leaving it doesn't matter if that's what you're focused on.
0: I'm just like so engrossed in that story. I don't even know what to say besides that. That is epic, man. That is so beautiful, and also an, a lesson for that little girl that um, if you mar- if you surround yourself with the right people, <laughs> you got to market to yeah. the right people. You can you can multiply your profits too. But man, I can only imagine the impact that that left on her that day. So appreciate you going above and beyond. And I I just think that the the biggest thing when it comes to these daily occurrences is realizing that they're there. I think that that's like the biggest thing. And I I can be so much better at this, but hopefully that's something for you listening right now is like maybe maybe you were there next to Scott and you didn't even realize it. you were one of those other people that crossed the street and just didn't even know, you know, but like, but you have to be consciously aware that there are opportunities where you can be investing in people where you can't, maybe you, maybe you were at that airport bar and maybe you don't leave a hundred dollar tip, but could you do exactly what Scott just did? And, you know, talk to the other people at the bar and say, hey, like, let's make this easier on her. That would have left, that probably left a bigger impact on her than the $100 ever could have, you know? But like, it's it's just being 100%. conscious about these small things. So I love that you brought that into people's awareness that this is something that you can absolutely do and you can go out and be a good human. And you you just don't know where people are at when you have a conversation. I, I forget who I interviewed. Uh, it was, but, but it reminds me, there was some story where it's someone, let someone jump in front of them at the grocery store because they had a few things. And the person just said something along the lines of like, you know, I we my family recently moved here and we haven't liked that many people. And I asked God today if I could have a sign that this is the right place for me to stay. And like, this is it. And now I'm staying here with my family. Like, you don't, you don't know when something like that's going to happen. Like now that whole family is living in that state as a result of yeah. like a, one act of kindness. So like, it just, I just love that your message is so fundamentally about being a good human and giving people the permission and the insights that these opportunities are around us all over the place
1: yeah and remember this there's a couple things that i think are super important number one is i'm completely imperfect so while i love the compliments and i appreciate the the accolades for the good things i do there's many times that i don't make the right decision or i miss the opportunity and i'm too caught up in myself um, because I'm imperfect. And so I just think that it's really important for people to remember that. And the second part is, you've got to give without expectations. We walked back and we sat in the hotel bar and had one more drink before we went to sleep that night. And the truth is half the group was being cynical and saying that it would, it would not mean anything. And, and that mindset to me is useless. Give without expectation. When I give you something, I have to separate. The gift is my gift. It's what I'm doing for you, to you, with you. How you choose to use that gift is yours. I can't control it after I've given it to you. I I shouldn't even control the dialogue. And that is hard. It's really hard with family and friends that you're super close with, that you might help and you want to get overly involved. Um, but I I really think... Giving without expectation is the part of this that that can be really extra powerful. Once I gave it, you know, like the homeless man who stepped in front of me, I don't know why he stepped in front of me. It was so weird and so out of character that the truth was, I just felt like maybe God was telling me to help this guy. I don't know. Maybe that $20 got him through the night. Maybe it gave him something special. Maybe it mean, meant nothing and he used it for drugs. Not my thing that's for him to choose but i i just i find that to be one of the one of the most empowering messages and something i really had to learn i struggled with this for a long time and through failure through really uncomfortable feeling through trying to control you know gifts that i was giving and helping people with because i wanted to provide pride and helpfulness and and yet also help them out of their their mess i got in my own way And I learned that lesson. And now that's something that I I fundamentally believe is a game changer. So be imperfect. Know that you're going to miss more than you see. Just see some and seeing some will turn into more and more will turn into lots.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to yes. And that, you know, giving, giving and not expecting anything in return. The one thing I'm going to say on top of that is also just be aware that I, I 100% agree with that mindset, I follow that with myself. The one thing that I have as an asterisk is uh, pay attention to how it's received. And like, because you can easily give and be taken advantage of if you have that mindset. Oh, sure. And I, sure. I, I, I don't I don't I don't have any concern about I mean, obviously, you, you, you have to have some level of awareness of being taken advantage of when you're a giver like that. But if you are going to be a giver, just be just watch how people react to certain things because it's like if they're going to keep coming back to you in a certain context, then the um, you, you actually you have to give yourself forgiveness to, you know, cut ties from toxic relationships or those kinds of things where people may not have taken advantage or taking advantage of you. And I know you're you're huge on being very mindful about who's in your life as well. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I know we, you, you gave us some buffer time, which is an excuse yeah. for me to go deeper because I absolutely, normally I, I I stop at an hour, but like, I love, I always love talking to you. And I think that, you know, as we kind of start wrapping up uh, in the next like few minutes or so, I, I think uh, one of the other huge tenants to you is uncovering what freedom means to you and defining that. I mean, it's like you, your company is Freedom Street. And I I told you before we get recording, like, you got to find the damn sign that says freedom on it. That's a street sign. I don't know. You don't have that I'm sure in your background. We will <laughs> okay. have it by the end of the day. <laughs> okay, Okay. cool. Sounds good. But I, I would love for you to kind of share some of your thoughts on, on being intentional about living a rich life and, and encouraging people to 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 design what uh, a life of freedom for themselves and some of the ways that you think about it.
1: I, I think when you ask yourself the question, what does freedom mean to you? It means something different to everybody. It, it starts with what lights you up what are the things that really matter to you? Who are the people that matter to you? And you mentioned it earlier briefly, I'll mention it now because it's a perfect segue, but I I call, I have an acronym for LIFE, and it's the High Performance LIFE, L-I-F-E, but I believe that high performers, people that that do a lot, you mentioned earlier in the beginning of this conversation that you are high energy. People ask uh, you and people like myself all the time. I was asked right before we started this, how do you have the energy to do all this? Like, What what do you do? And I tell them now, the older I get, I need a little little more recharge, but I have high energy. But the reality is you've got to actually understand you're always going to find imbalance in life. And by defining what freedom means to me, I can also then break it down into my life acronym. And life for me is love, which is love is the relationships. It's the who in your life. Who are the most important people? Who is supposed to be getting the most time? Who is getting the most time? Inventorying, understanding the, the who's I want to be around. I saw one of my cousins this week. I was the best man in his wedding. I love him. I miss him. It's been way too long since we've seen each other. I have to remind myself that it's too long. And and that that I have to figure out how to make that a part of my life again, because I can't be too busy and he can't be too busy. But I'm going to make that a priority. I want to be self-aware enough to understand there's an imbalance of which I would like to have more time with a friend. That really means a lot to me. Number two is I, which is impact. We talked a lot about this. I think impact is what you do. What do you do every day? What is it? That, that you do that is your day job? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Is there something you'd rather be doing? What are you being bogged down with? Are you spending more time doing things that aren't your career because you're trying to find yourself or does your career present an opportunity for you to find yourself? Like understanding, are you giving? It's impact goes beyond just giving. Impact is your habit of daily impact. It's every aspect of your what. What are you doing? the actionable items? Then you get into faith. and and I'll be honest, the older I get, the more in tune, the more comfortable, you know, I used to call this box spirituality. I call it faith now. My faith in God is something that grounds me, something I'm very sure of. Um, I grew up in a Catholic uh, school. I have I was an altar server. I did not understand my faith in any way, but every single time I'm lost, And I identify my spirituality and for you, it could be whatever you need, but let me tell you something without the grounding of something bigger than yourself, life gets hard and it gets very, very meaningless. So if we can define what faith means to you, and it's not my job to tell anybody what that is for me, it's been a re-exploration of my faith. And I'm extremely uh, driven in that and i'm i'm and i and i could never ever tell you how impactful that's been as a foundational part to my life every another conversation i'll go into that with you um but but every one of the the challenges and major considerations in my life i found myself in a moment of silence in a church in a feeling where i needed to find an answer and i've always been directed and led to the right place And I'm very grateful for that. So what that for you, it might mean nature, just grounding yourself and sitting outside. But at some point in time, people have to find something bigger than themselves. And last is energy. This is your this is your who. So the faith is your why. If I didn't say that, that's your why something bigger than yourself. And then last is your energy. It's your how. How are you going to come at the world? If you come to the world with great energy, love and kindness and excitement, the world gives it back to you. You get what you give. And the truth is, energy is what is your body like? How do you feed it? How do you feed your mind, your body, your spirit, your mentality, your emotional well being? All of that is encompassed in your energy. And if you are strong and you put your best, foot forward with the right energy, the how becomes the easy. Now I also have those two on the bottom, faith and energy on the bottom without a healthy you with the right energy and something bigger than yourself, relationships struggle. Mm -hmm. The who's in your life will struggle and the impact can be meaningless. And so understanding that the right foundation is key. So what freedom means to me, is constantly remembering the who's that matter, the impact that I'm trying to make on the world, that I have a faith in God above all else, that I'm I'm serving something bigger than myself, and that I'm putting the right energy forward every single day to be the best version of myself. And if I can constantly understand that I'm going to fail and I'm going to eat wrong today and I'm going to skip church today, and I'm going to make the wrong decision with my family or the impact, you know, I, I got to, I have to forgive myself on a regular basis and adjust. Where am I putting too much energy? You said something earlier about you and Leah doing a, a weekly check-in. That's a temperature check. What you're doing, you're creating a, a system and a habit to figure out in your lives what matters, who matters, why it matters, and how it's going to matter. And if, and, and to me, this is a recipe for how I deal with everything. So this has kind of come out through the book. This, I used to call this my four quadrants. It was super boring, not cool enough, way not catchy. Like, and, and we developed the four quadrants into life because that's fundamentally what I've been doing for 20 years. And, um, and all the story has led to this clarity.
0: So beautiful. I love that. And I guess I just want to carry this momentum kind of like to close things out because I don't want to add anything on top of that. That was so beautiful. But just to recap for people, love, impact, faith, energy. How are you investing in each of those areas to build a meaningful life that creates the freedom that you're looking for? So the, the last question that I like to ask guests, Scott, and I love to see the kind of commonalities and patterns, and maybe you already alluded to this and many of the, your other answers, but I'd love to hear what is your definition of happiness what does happiness mean to scott
1: man it's such a big such a big question i i think i think happiness is finding the joy in everyday life you know what whatever happens to us and for us actually being okay with whatever it is and smiling along the way i mean i i i always feel happy i mean i have moments where i struggle I have moments of overwhelm um on a regular basis. My my sons and my wife can tell you that I'm not always perfect. I am a it I am an imperfect human. But at the end of the day, man, to find to find everyday joy is is something that's really special.
0: Beautiful. Love that so much. Love that answer and I just want to conclude with telling people where they can find out all the incredible stuff that you're up to. So anybody can go to Scott Danner.com. That's Scott with two T's and Danner with two N's. So S-E-O-T-T-D-A-N-N-E-R. Obviously they can go find a Freedom Street on Amazon, any other places you would, I know YouTube, tell us a little bit about where we can find out about the stuff that you're up to.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm everything we talked about today are the kinds of videos and the kinds of conversations that I'm having on a regular basis. I put out a ton of videos. We're launching a YouTube channel. It takes a while to get going. I'm doing videos every single week. We're launching two to three a week. I think they're going to be impactful on the world. I think that your message matters more when you matter. And when it matters to somebody, they're going to share it. And that's what I hope that you did today. You listened, you enjoyed it. Listening to one of the best interviewers and and one of my favorite podcasters in the world. And most of all, a great friend, somebody that I admire and and love looking up to and listening to um, because I wish when I was younger, I had the the uh, the ability to get out of my own way early enough to learn from all the people that knew way more than me, like you have. You surround yourself with people that are smarter, stronger, you know, whatever, and you end up in the exact same spot with them because you're shortening the distance every single day, every single year. And so I love your research project. I love what you've done in your life. I love your story. And I'm grateful to you for even sharing everything that you've learned, because I learn every time I'm with you, brother.
0: Oh, man, that means so much, man. I, I I love you so much. I appreciate the time that we get to spend together. And man, this has been an incredible conversation. So I'm just going to wrap things up really quick by having a conversation with our friend that's listening. And I just want to say, you could be listening to any other podcast out there. You could be doing anything else and you stopped, you chose, you clicked on this thing and you've been hanging out with Scott and myself today. And for that, I am so grateful and I I love you and appreciate you for being on this journey. So whether you are a new friend or an old friend, it really means a lot to me and it means a lot to Scott as well. And the one favor I'm just gonna ask is if you have heard something today that impacted you, that touched you, which... If you're listening at this point, I don't really know how you could have gotten to this point without that happening. I just ask that you share this with someone because it can absolutely make someone's day just like the ripple effect that we talked about with Scott sitting at the bar or that little girl crossing the street. You know, like these are all opportunities. This could be your moment right now where you share something maybe you had a friend that was down and like they, they just want some good energy and you, you loved Scott's energy. You can send this to them and you can absolutely make your day and you have the, their day and you have no idea where this goes. So I would really appreciate this. If you shared that episode, it would mean a ton to me. It would mean a ton to Scott. And um, that's, that's all I have to say about with you listening. And I appreciate you for being here and man, Scott, any, any final last words you want to say before we head out for today?
1: No, just keep doing what you're doing because it's making a difference and I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of myself with the world. Thank you so much.
0: Appreciate it, Scott.